2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
3: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks to our sponsors for making this show economically viable. And for the first hour of today's show, they are Merrick's Gold, Legend Gold, Rye Patch Gold Corp. Our schedule is really jam-packed this week. There is little time for babble, so let me get right into today's program. In just a couple of minutes, Dave Mason, the CEO of Ogden Gold Corp., will explain how his company has a chance to discover many millions of ounces of gold and to make shareholders wealthy. This is one of my own top picks based on this company's very... Prospective project in Ontario in the gold fields of Ontario following Dave Carmen Alexei will be back with me to talk more about her own escape from Romania to freedom then she will join me as a co-host to talk to another champion of freedom and liberty namely Jeff Nelson He is a Canadian and he runs a, a terrific blog he will talk about how large large corporate interests are joining an increasingly fascist government around the world to hollow out the middle class and basically take away the rights that our founders believed were our inalienable rights. Dave and Carmen will be with me through most of the first and second hour. Finally, from Vancouver, where I am talking to you from, I will provide you with some thoughts on today's tumultuous markets. We have precious little time to babble, as I noted, so let's get right into it. As soon as I go uh, to a commercial break, we'll be right back with Dave Mason of Aug Gold Corp. Don't go away. I'll be right back.
0: Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chikamala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at Dot .legendgold.com
4: Romeo's Gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of British Columbia's Golden Triangle, a copper-gold-rich region with improving infrastructure. Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi-billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million-plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world-class mineral resources
5: in a major upcoming mining district. www.rypatchgold.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts
0: here. Voice America Business Network.
1: Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down. I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love.
3: Back to Turning hard times into good times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Well, most of the time when you hear companies talk about their projects on the show, they are sponsors uh, for the show. Turning hard times into good times not only gives them a chance to tell their stories to our resource investment-oriented listening audience, but it also gives me a chance uh, and an opportunity to listen to stories that frequently then become recommendations in my newsletter. Occasionally, I invite companies that are not sponsors on my show to tell their stories solely because I think they are exceptionally undervalued. And after I have included them in my newsletter many times, uh, or or various times after I've included them in my newsletter, I I tell you, my listeners, about that um, on this show. That, in fact, is the case uh, today for a company called Augen Gold Corp. The company trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol GLD, and you can buy it in the United States over-the-counter market under the symbol AUGNF. It is recently selling at around $0.34 $0.35, cents, with 20, 127 million shares outstanding. and has a market cap of about $43 million. Fully diluted, the company would have more than 172 million shares outstanding, but with the exercise of warrants, Ogden uh, would have a very... Ample supply of cash to fund its promising exploration uh, program going forward over the next year or two Because it is so inexpensive um, And because of its very attractive assets Augen Corporation is a company that is now subject of what I think is an unfair, hostile takeover And that is also one of the reasons I want listeners to hear about this story uh, on this show today Although Augen is a junior gold exploration company without any production at this stage, it has an exploration project in a prime location in Ontario for mining that I believe has the potential to host several million ounces of gold. Exploration is going forward now on a very exciting area of that company's property, and drill results will be made public in the not-too-distant future. For the sake of full disclosure, Aragon is a recommendation in my newsletter. I do hold a relatively small position uh, in my retirement account. Also, my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, did receive a small fee for a video interview I did with David Mason uh, in June of this year. Well, I've done enough talking, so let me introduce to you David Mason. He is the CEO of Augen Gold Corp. Mr. Mason is the CEO and director of Augen. He completed university um, his university degree at Toronto Uh, We received a Bachelor in Science, uh, Applied Geology, in 1967, and continued on to McGill University, receiving his Master's Degree in Mining Engineering in 1969. David has spent 16 years in the resource industry, following 25 years in the investment business, 10 years as a mining analyst, uh, where he worked for Wood Gundy and Wallen, Inc., and approximately 15 years as an IDA member, firm branch, manager, director, and advisor to individual retail investors. In 1994, David founded Augan Capital, which has raised over $100 million in flow-through funds. He created the public vehicle for energy fuels, uh, and subsequently he founded Augan Gold in 2006 and has raised more than $20 million uh, in financing that company. Welcome, David, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Um, good morning, Jay. It's really good to have you with us. Um, here's the question. A company named Trelwani Mining and Exploration is making an attempt to take over Aragon Gold Corp. What is Trelwani offering the shareholders of Augen? Well,
6: you know... Um, they tie on to uh, the southeast uh, corner of our 45-kilometer-long property, which is uh, accessible by a paved highway between mm-hmm. Sudbury and Timmins, two major mining centers. Um, and uh, our land position is uh, about seven times theirs.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
6: we have uh, 25% or more of, of the gold um, that they've uh, been able to uh, delineate it on their Cote deposit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, having said all that, they're, uh, what they're offering is only 0.066 shares mm. of Trelawney for each share of uh, GLD. Mm-hmm. That means uh, for all of our assets, which is huge compared to uh, what they have, they're only willing to put up 7% of their issued capital, uh, which is totally inadequate, in my opinion.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, they they do have, a claim to have, at least, a, and I believe this would be a 43101 resource of 4 million ounces of gold compared to year 1 million ounces. Uh, to the layperson, that may seem, you know, to be a reasonable or maybe not so far on off uh, offer. Um, so explain why if you could explain to me a little more concretely why that's not, I know you have four times the land position, but they have four times as much gold. Can you maybe help me understand a little better why this is a very unfair offer?
6: Well, um, from a market viewpoint, uh, their stock uh, has done uh, extremely well um, and ours has been caught uh, in the downdraft. Um, So, uh from, if you look strictly at stock value you know people would say okay it's uh it's not all that far out of whack mm-hmm. um but when you look at potential um it's certainly very much out of not uh, in uh, the best interest of all gold shareholders mm-hmm. um, and also um, the fact that if you look at uh the way most mining analysts would uh, uh, analyze companies. Uh, let's say you took uh, $100 um, an ounce in the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be you know, approximately a $400 million market cap um, mm-hmm. for, for uh, Trelawney. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know mostly people would ignore cash and other considerations. And we mm-hmm. have got a minimum of, of uh, $1 million. Ounces, mm-hmm. um, so that's $100 million.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, so wouldn't the ratio be more like uh, a quarter of a share of uh, Trelawney for one share of Ogden Gold?
3: I understand what you're saying. In other words, instead of .066, uh, .25 might be more like it.
6: Yeah, it's starting to get into uh, a realm of uh, decency. But the other thing is uh, we have a huge amount of information on our Jerome property. The Mm -hmm. 1 million ounces is based on uh, 917 drill holes. Mm -hmm. It's been, uh, Jerome has been the, the best, Producing gold mine uh, ever in the whole South Swayze belt, which includes uh, what they're doing at Cote. Mm-hmm. it was the highest grade mine of ever anything, and it was mined by Miranda in the 1930s and 1940s
1: mm-hmm.
6: And so we have the, the advantage of uh, underground development plus these uh, 917 drill holes, and I would say the probability uh, of us having a million ounces is in the range of 95 to 99 percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, although I, you know, I praise uh, Trilani for what they've done both in the marketplace and and um, developing something large here, here uh, their drill spacing is very large. It's mm-hmm. more than 100 meters uh, straight across. In fact. Uh, the four million ounces is based on only 47 holes,
1: wow. compared to uh-huh. our
6: 917 holes. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. if you look on statistical probability, uh-huh. uh, and if you really want to be analytical, and as you pointed out, you know, I'm an analyst uh, by uh-huh. nature, uh-huh. Um, I would say the probability that they have gold there is is reasonably high, but nowhere near as high as us. Uh-huh. So let's just take a uh, uh, stab and say you well, know, maybe it's sixty five percent probability other in the infill drilling, um and so they're dealing with more like two to three million ounces mm-hmm. so even further, if that's the case, um you know it might you know the the share ratio might be closer to uh, uh, one to two,
3: sure, yeah, because of the confidence level, there could be some surprises on the downside. Uh, with with uh, a lot fewer 47 holes for on four million ounces as opposed to 917 holes on a million ounces for you obviously, you're drilling is much more closely spaced probably and then uh, and so the confidence in the numbers are much higher because you have more uh, more samples. Um, well, that's that's that, so from a statistical point of view. There's one issue. There's also I like to think because I'm a long-term investor. I like to ask the question, "What is the likelihood of getting a project into production? Now, four million ounces sounds pretty that's pretty impressive, you would say, but there are always so many issues that come between finding the uh, the metal in the ground and getting it into production. You have some issues there I believe if i if I understand that project um, very well, there may be some issues with respect to needing to maybe they need to drain a lake or two or three lakes or something in order to get Logistically, or to mine this, this open pit out, is that is that your understanding?
6: Well, let's um, look at the, the Canadian Shield is uh, profligate in lakes, mm-hmm. and, every, and we have a uh, similar problem in, in many respects. The, mm-hmm. the Jerome deposit um, is a peninsula in the middle of uh, Lake Opie mm-hmm. Um so uh, there are, uh, you know, problems of let's say, uh, you know, if, if we were to do open pit, uh, how about the drainage? In our case, uh, we could do a, a small dam over uh, the north part of our, our, our property mm-hmm. and it's only about four feet of water and, and drain it very quickly and, and that's a very simple engineering issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would uh, get us around the all the environmental issues. It wouldn't interfere with the, the fish spawning and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I doubt if um, any major company would have a problem. And let, I want to be clear here I'm a, an explorer, not a developer, even though I'm sure. In mining engineering. Uh, I, I would like to come in with a, a major company to help us develop this because it's way too big for a small company like us. Right. Um, and anybody that had that kind of clout could very easily get the environmental permits to go at the Jerome or uh, in other parts of our property that we'll talk about uh, shortly. Yeah. Uh, whereas just visually what I see uh, there's about three lakes that would have to be drained mm-hmm. uh, for the cote mm-hmm. and you know it, it puts some quite a bit of doubt in my mind whether that can be done that easily. Mhm.
3: Well, do does Chilrawani have enough land surrounding their claims to, you know, logistically to put their mine into production? In your view, and, and again, prefacing uh, that question with the statement you just made that you're not a mining engineer, you're a geologist. So,
6: well, I, uh, I, I do have a degree, an advanced degree in mining engineering, but okay,
3: I, my, my heart, my heart is in the exploration side. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, so. I mean I, I and again, we don't want to badmouth um, or say negative things about Chonic. We just want investors to understand what the what the whole picture is here and and we want to get onto to the positive things about your project and and, and sure. you know and I, and I want to do that shortly, but just so investors understand so listeners understand uh you know all ounces in the ground are not created equally, ounces in mm-hmm. certain areas. Uh, where there are not environmental challenges, where there are not logistical challenges, where the ore lays in the ground, uh, in the right, uh, you know, in the right angles and so forth, reduce, uh, you know, it can, can reduce the amount of stripping, reduce the cost of mining, uh, sometimes if you go to a certain depth, then you have to expand your pits out a long ways, if you're usually a 45 degree angle pit is sort of the norm. Uh, so I guess there there may be that issue as well, but i don 't know if you'd care to comment on that um,
6: well that's a very good point Jay. They are experiencing gold mineralization down to uh, five hundred meters uh, fifteen hundred feet, and one of their better holes is within two hundred meters of our boundary mm-hmm. I just, you have to put it into perspective uh, what I talked about in Jerome is more than twenty kilometers away mm-hmm. uh, different geological environment entirely. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our our property is so large that it does engulf a lot of different uh, things um, and and we uh, completely surround the uh, Terlani claims uh, on three and a half sides. On the north side, uh, our boundary is extremely close to where they're drilling. Mm -hmm. And if they were to go down to 500 meters, I'm just Uh, speculating here Mm -hmm. Uh, with a 45 degree pit wall uh, would mean they would really for the pit alone they would have to take in uh, a lot of our claims Mm -hmm. Uh, and so i think that's very strategic to their uh, desire to take us over as inexpensively as they possibly can Mm -hmm. Uh, to say nothing of the logistics of having to bring
3: men and equipment in and that sort of thing Mm
1: -hmm.
3: all right well let's Okay, well let's get on to let's get on to your property now. You've been doing, the one million ounces, as I understand it, is in and around or at the the old Jerome mine. Is that correct?
6: That that is, and it's uh, as I say about 20 kilometers to the
3: northwest of the Trelawney?
6: Yeah, and it's property. all contiguous. We, we our claims are totally contiguous, uh, and I would divide it in half. Uh, the northwest half of the property. Has a totally different uh, geological environment than uh, that surrounds uh, our part of our property on the southeast that surrounds uh, Trelawney. Okay. Uh, on, on the northwest, you find gold. At the intersection of um, a, a porphyry intrusive uh, and uh, volcanic sediments. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to predict. We have the model from the Jerome mine, mm-hmm. um, where where the sediments meet the porphyry. And it's usually on both sides of the porphyry because they tend to be only several hundred meters in, in, in thickness. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got two gold zones uh, surrounding that. You can define it by uh, uh, magnetic surveys, IP, and um, various geochemical techniques. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been speculated for 70 years. So there's an extension to the Jerome deposit on the, to the northeast, about two mm-hmm. kilometers northeast of Jerome. And we've we've picked that up. And we have a huge area. This is totally uh, above and beyond the million ounces we have in mm-hmm. Jerome.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, it's uh, Jerome has more than a million ounces, in my opinion, over three quarters of a kilometer in strike length. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
6: up on to uh, the north shore of Lake Ilpipizwe, um, you know, two to three kilometers to the northeast, mm-hmm. uh, we have 15 kilometers. So more than almost 20 times uh, as much uh, potential as there is in the drone itself. Mm-hmm. And of those 15 kilometers of uh, oriferous zones, uh, we've delineated um, a very hot area, which is uh, 1.8 kilometers long, that's a mile long, uh, huge by any standards, mm-hmm. um, and we're getting extremely high gold intersections uh, in several areas, some mm-hmm. aren't, but uh, we're, everywhere we drill, we we hit gold, so we know there's
3: <laughs> there's some major deposits there. You're saying in every in every drill hole you've hit gold. Absolutely. Uh, hit, this is in what you refer to as the North Shore.
6: Yeah, and and our very specific uh, target that mm-hmm. for, uh, of of the six uh, porphyries that are on the North Shore, uh, and, we're drilling one in particular, and this one is uh, hitting over 1.8 kilometers. Every hole, um, it's uh, in baseball. If you can um, average in your lifetime um, uh, a batting average of 300, uh, you're doing extremely well. Um, And 1,000, you can do that for a short period of time usually, but (laughs) not forever. Okay, Uh, how many holes? um, We've done in this zone about 40 holes. 40 Uh, holes, Yeah, 40 out of Uh, 40. uh, Yeah, and so we're almost up to the same kind of um, uh, statistical average that the the Cote just on that alone. Uh, But I I wouldn't be projecting like others might. Um, What I want to do here is to, uh, uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll produce long sections and cross sections that will show where the most likely areas the container resource Mm -hmm. and uh, drill them off very vigorously in the next few weeks and and, uh, produce some more uh, tonnage. My intention before I was hit with this hostile offer was... um, to add to our 43101 by the end of the year, and uh, and produce a uh, an upgrade
3: of um, X million more ounces um, on the North Shore.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: David, let me ask you then. Um, your target is that you've hit 40 out of 40 over a 1.8 kilometer strike length. Um, mm-hmm. Is that was that then looking at that contact between the porphyry and the sediments?
6: That's right.
3: Is that's what you're doing? So that's your that's your model, and the model is proving to be successful. That's correct so far, and I think that it's important to point that out because uh, you know, I mean, that in, should increase the confidence that uh, as you have this tremendous area to to drill, you you know, you could come up with some some pretty good numbers. I could you give our listeners a uh, just a, a sample of a couple of uh, the drill holes, the intersections that you might have come up with there?
6: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, There's one area, and that's where I'm going to go back and and really uh, drill um, very, very intensively. We had five holes all in a row. Each one of them had extremely good intersections. They averaged uh, 14 grams per ton Hmm. over an average of of six meters. Mm -hmm. And I had many of my friends in the business phone up and say, well done, David, you've really got, got onto something here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an extremely good uh, uh, sign. And uh, you're quite right, Jay, that our, our target is very distinct. But right now we know what we're doing. We have all the information, huge amount of information at Jerome. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking that over to the North Shore and using uh, magnetics IP and a special uh, geochemical uh, technique, we uh, are able to find the hot spots and, and uh, go at it. We have two drills going, uh, two shifts a day in that area, and we also um, have another drill over in the Cote Lake area. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cote Lake appears to be more of a structural uh, type of deposit uh, mm-hmm. where the orogenic forces have uh, created uh, huge openings, uh, a major gold system that come in. So it's very more difficult in that part of the, uh, the property to uh, come up with uh, a drill uh, positioning. What Trelawney appears to be doing is, uh, and and rightly so, they had some good intersections to start with, and they've just moved out and moved along with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the ability to to predict in a uh, a structurally controlled environment is much more difficult than one where you have a model of um, the
3: geology. Mm -hmm. Well, how much drilling do you expect to do on the North Shore uh, this year yet?
6: Uh, I would expect at least uh, with our, our two drills uh, going uh, full-time, um, at, which are just defining uh, uh, the resource. And um, the uh, what I'd like to do is to bring a, a third drill in, so we'd probably have four drills on the property. Um, drills are very hard to come by, but we have an yeah. extremely good uh, company that can, within a month and a half, uh, manufacture and, and produce another drill for us. Um, and have a third one as a, as a scout. Um, so our budget w- is in the range of um, uh six to $9 million worth of uh, exploration work uh, for all of uh, 2011. And um, we have a very good uh, cost. So in terms of uh, total meterage, uh, well, it's going to be at least uh, 30,000 meters, but much more
3: probably. Okay, how well financed is Augin now to, to do this, to carry out this drill program this year, and, and will you have anything left over for next year?
6: Oh, well, we have lots of uh, money in the till. Um, we have, um, before the warrant exercise uh, started, um, uh, at about $6 million, Warrants will add in another uh, four. And um, because of this hostile offer, which um, th- you know doesn't allow for warrants and options to be um, Taken into account, if it's mm-hmm. successful, um, people are exercising their their warrants and options, and that'll uh, bring in the cash in the next two weeks. So mm-hmm. within two weeks, we'll probably have ten million dollars in the till,
3: and that will that will fund everything you need this year and, and maybe part of next year. Uh, I would think uh, right through until most of next year if we, if we need to be. David, uh, how can people keep up with your story? I guess your website, which is what what is your website?
6: Um, well, it's uh, www.ogangold.ca. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go onto the website, there's a place to sign up for uh, information, and uh, we have a regular email blast. We have a blog uh, to keep people informed. Uh, we're very prolific in our press releases, um, so it's very easy to follow our story.
3: David, um, one thing I didn't ask you about and I want to do that um, I saw somewhere that about 42% of your shareholders have agreed to uh, to the to the uh, takeover uh, but you need two-thirds I think is it that you need to get um, that correct yeah and and and, and uh, you know what do you think the likelihood of a successful hostile takeover is here
6: well um, a year ago we had no uh, institutional shareholders whatsoever We now have uh, over 40% institution and 60% on the uh, individual investor side. Mm
1: -hmm.
6: The the dominance is uh, in the individual investor side.
1: Mm -hmm.
6: The dominance uh, of the people that went into the lockup agreement uh, was um, uh, from institutions. Mm
1: -hmm.
6: The reason uh, I can only speculate is uh, they own... Probably a bigger interest in Trelawney than they do in in, um, in terms of dollars uh, in and Gold, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they're probably uh, looking at it as uh, uh, in their their interest to have a, one consolidated company. Right. But your your individual investor uh, who's bought Ogden Gold is going to say um, hey, this is a deal I'm not going to tender. Mm-hmm. Um, so of that 60%, we only need uh, 35 percentage points uh, of people saying. Um, uh, you know we're not going to tender and and that will that will kill their deal. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. and uh, so far I've talked to quite a few and and I I, I feel very comfortable that we're going to exceed 35% so
3: we'll stop the deal. Well, oh. well shareholders then uh, will obviously have a having an, an ability to vote uh, on this so uh, they they those that are, are really uh, concerned about this will want to uh, Follow what's going on very carefully, and um, and obviously exercise the right to vote. Anything else you'd like to mention before we conclude this discussion?
6: Well, I think you know the, a very uh, in, interesting strategy for uh, people on the sidelines here is to uh, uh, buy some of our shares and and hold them and hold them right through until uh, uh, they have to, because um, uh, if you don't if you buy now and not tender, you've got several things that, that could happen that would uh, move it up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one would be, uh, uh, you know, Trelawney shares moving higher, which is a good potential because they're uh, uh, well um, uh, financed and well promoted by uh, some, several uh, banks in, in, in Canada. Um, secondly, uh, we might come up with a, an alternate um, bidder for the company. Um, mm-hmm. That's a very distinct possibility. We've hired Paradigm Capital, which is one of the better um, investment bankers in, in uh, Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and um uh, we also if, we, if it comes push come to shove uh would probably say uh, if it has to be trelawny that we're working with um the ratio could be increased uh, uh dramatically from that point mm-hmm. so I'm, I, I, I'm very uh reluctant to say uh, um no uh, uh n- no risk but mm-hmm. the risk is, is relatively low to buy and, and hold and um if you uh, if we wind up uh, getting swallowed up by Trelawney, um you know you're going to get the same ratio anyway. So, mm-hmm. yeah. um, a lot a lot of very smart investors are, are in the
3: marketplace doing just that. Right. Well, that's a it's a very interesting story. I I wish you all the best on this. I must admit that I am not unbiased, as I said earlier on. I do have a, a small holding uh, in my own retirement account, and we have uh, recommended your stock in my newsletter. So uh, I do wish you well. I hope that you can prevail uh, because it seems to me the offer that they are making, in my view, from what I understand, is is not adequate. Uh, and, um, well, just wish you the best and uh, hope to talk to you again sometime, maybe uh, uh, see how things are going and, and uh, bring you in on another discussion sometime in the near future. Thank you very much, David, for no, being you. with us. No, thank uh, you, Jay. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back uh, in just a a minute after the commercial break. I'm going to be talking to today's main guests, Carmen Alexi and Jeff Nielsen. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chukamala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina Project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www www.legendgold.com
4: Romeo's Gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of British Columbia's Golden Triangle, a copper-gold-rich region with improving infrastructure. Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi-billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million-plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world-class mineral resources in a major upcoming mining district.
5: www.rypatchgold.com From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network.
1: Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love ride. I'll be sly.
3: Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host Jay Taylor and I'm pleased to have with me two guests today, two at the same time. Carmen Alexei has been on this show a couple of times over the last few weeks and I'm having her back again today to talk about how life in Romania, where she lived as a young lady, deteriorated as the free markets were gradually done away with under that communist rule, much as free markets are seemingly being abandoned in the United States now and secondly i want to uh, have her talk about her escape into italy where she gained her freedom but now carmen is quite rightly in my view very concerned that a painful tyranny the likes of which she thought she had escaped from in romania is starting to emerge here in the united states as our government takes on growing signs every day of economic fascism and a loss of liberty that goes along with an economy that is no longer a free market economy (laughs) Because of time considerations, I am not going to read Carmen's biography now, but if you listen uh, to our archive discussion last week, you will hear her offer some interesting investment ideas in the real estate sector where she has focused much of her energy in recent years. What I believe and what our second main guest believes is that the move away from free markets is not a specific country issue but rather a global phenomenon with governments working in tandem with the rich – wealthy corporate interest to concentrate power and wealth in the hands of fewer and fewer people and so as soon as Carmen finishes her story uh, about her life in Romania and her escape to the US Carmen and I will both be talking with Jeff Nielsen our second main guest today Jeff Nielsen studied economics for four years at the University of British Columbia before moving on to study law at that same institution obtaining his law degree in 1989 he came to the precious metals sector as an investor approximately uh, in the middle of the last decade and quickly decided to make it uh, the focus of his career. In 2008, he founded Bullion Bulls Canada, it's a precious metals website, with a global audience where he serves as writer and editor. Bullion Bulls Canada provides its audience with extensive economic analysis, in-depth precious metals commentary and detailed information on North American-listed mining companies. Since starting Bullion Bulls Canada, Jeff has had hundreds of his commentaries published on such sites as Seeking Alpha, The Street, and dozens of precious metals websites. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Jay. It's a pleasure to be a guest in your program. And it's a pleasure to have you, and welcome again, Carmen.
7: Well, thank you, Jay. It's uh, always a pleasure to be here with you, and a pleasure to, uh, to be with you as, a, as well, Jeff.
3: Thank you. Yeah, it's it's great to have the two of you together. I think uh, it, it makes a lot of sense because Carmen uh, lived through a, a deteriorating economic situation that was clearly, in my view, clearly the cause caused by intervention in the in the free markets. Well, Jeff, I would like you to listen to Carmen's story because I think what it may be able to do is to help our listeners really relate on a personal level to how these big-time geopolitical chess players, how their policies are really impacting our economic, social, and even spiritual lives. So, uh, okay, Carmen, uh, question then. Can you describe for us what you saw happening in Romania that caused you to decide you needed to flee that country?
7: Well, Jay, um, in a nutshell, it was uh, everything was government-controlled. The government uh, had a tight control over the economy, and consequently they also had a tight control over the, uh, the people as well. Um, I do remember when I, um, after I escaped Romania and I was interviewing to immigrate to the U.S., um, I was asked by the um, United States counselor as to what was the reason for uh, me um, seeking per, um, political asylum. Mm-hmm. And at that time, um, I said, of course, uh, individual personal freedom. I wanted to be, to live in a free country. Mm-hmm. And I do remember one of the questions, um, I mean, he asked me a, a bunch of questions, but there's one that's really stuck in my mind because um, um, to me it was puzzling at that time. I didn't make a whole lot of what he said, but he asked me if there are shortages of food or energy um, uh, in, 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 in America, if, um, if uh, America will ever go through economic crisis, Uh, would you still seek political asylum Hmm. and at that time I was of course 18 I was pretty naive in my thinking and I said I really don't care as long as I have personal freedom Mm -hmm. now in retrospect I mean I'm looking at all these things especially at this question and um, you know being introduced to um, Austrian economics and and coming in with an Austrian perspective i see a very direct correlation between uh, personal freedom and economic crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, economic crisis typically happen as a result of government intervention. Mm-hmm. So um, going back to what happened in Eastern Europe, and, and that was actually the downfall of Eastern Europe, and to be more specific in Romania, shortages of food, energy were all directly related to government interference in the market, uh, causing... Um, It to be less than a free market Hmm. So as we know from an Austrian perspective um, And my personal experience of growing up over there in a government-controlled economy Lack of freedom in economics in an economy means loss of individual freedom Mm -hmm. So uh, basically, um, now I'm going back and I'm thinking, wow You know, um, it was a very puzzling question to me I make much more sense of it right now um, it's great to be enlightened by Austrian economics and of course as a result of that I've done some research into history as well
3: hmm so you would say I guess maybe what you're saying is that economic freedom and uh, and prosperity or let's say personal freedom which of course equates to which also includes economic freedom with that comes prosperity and the absence of it uh, drives a loss of prosperity or a loss of uh, e- economic comfort. Would you say that?
7: Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the most uh, important components, I guess, of free economics is uh, and personal liberty is the right of an individual to personal property. And I think you and I have shared this, uh, this discussion before. Personal property, most of the people think of personal property in terms of real estate, but it doesn't necessarily have to be just real estate. I hmm. mean, Think about it. Your income, your your business, your earnings—those are all personal property. They are your property. And when the state has the right to tax it
3: mm-hmm.
7: excessively, to take it away from you, mm-hmm. obviously that's a loss of, of personal freedom.
3: Sure, no, no doubt about it. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about your about the events that led to your escape. Can you can you describe the circumstances of your escape to freedom? You, you were a competitive swimmer, I believe you said, and. Were you on a swimming match in Italy then? Or just uh, no,
7: I was actually in a swimming match in uh, the former Yugoslavia mm-hmm. and uh, right after I turned 18. And um, um, even though I had been in many other countries, Western European countries, um, uh, before I turned 18, I couldn't do anything because I wasn't 18. I was still a minor.
1: Mm-hmm.
7: So... Um, I do remember when I was a a little girl, my parents and a lot of other people were listening to Radio Free Europe and Mm -hmm. to Voice of America, and I would ask my parents as to what was – you know, I was really little – why were they uh, listening to those, and what – what caused them to listen to to, to those programs? Because mm-hmm. they were illegal, by the way. Mm-hmm. And they... could you get in?
3: Excuse me, just a minute. But could you get in trouble for listening to those shows?
7: Oh, absolutely yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were not allowed to listen to that. Um, as a matter of fact, Romania, just like the entire, um, I guess, Eastern Europe and the Soviet bloc, of course, they had, um, I guess, party party members, people that were. Um, uh, um, used to spy on people Mm -hmm. and I know that sounds kind of crazy but it's really true like if you were to stay in line uh, because we had to stay in line for you know to buy food or to buy chicken or whatever because there were shortages of food um, you know and you would start talking to the people ahead of you that oh wow you know the president look what the president is doing Um, they're so you know it's such a bad situation and there would be spies um, that were um, uh, put in those lines just so that they hear what people talk about. Mm-hmm. If you did something if you talked um something really derogatory about the president, mm-hmm. you were put on a list, and then they would find a reason basically to um to come get you and interrogate you.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just thinking uh, in the U.S. now. Of course, the uh, the banks are asked to do uh, it's a know your customer, which used to mean know your customer whether he can pay you back if you make a loan. Now it means know what your customer is up to. They're uh, watching monetary flows in and out of the U.S. very carefully. Uh, so I think that the stage is being set for. You know, spying on people, turning people in—it certainly seems to be the possible possibility here in the United States. But I digress a bit. Uh, continue telling us about the events then, and uh, of how you uh, of how you escaped.
7: Sure. Um, so after I turned 18, I I had a competition that I attended over in the former Yugoslavia. I competed, and then I found my way. I basically skated. I found my way. Uh, traveled on my own. Uh, to the border with Italy uh, crossed uh, the border into Italy uh, I did take three attempts because I was not successful the first time so the third time um, I was able to to cross successfully into Italy where I um I uh, seeked you know uh, political asylum mm-hmm. so from there on obviously it was just a matter of, of waiting mm-hmm. and um, If I remember correctly, there was an interview I had with the Geneva Commission, uh, and after that, an interview with the American uh, consulate, and um, I think I was about seven months over there and then immigrated to the U.S., and uh, truthfully, I was so ecstatic and so happy to be able to come to what I thought. It was a really free country, and Mm -hmm. I never, ever thought in my life that I would see the kind of things the kind of symptoms the kind of uh, uh, issues that I had seen in Romania right over here and it does concern me I mean nationalizing the bank and uh, the banks and nationalizing the health care I mean these are major sectors of the economy and
3: mm-hmm. well I want to I want we are going to talk to Jeff in just a minute and start getting. Uh, you know his understanding of, of what the game plan is by some of the oligarchs, some of the people that are powers behind the throne. I like to call them, uh, and, and what you're saying, Carmen, I think uh, definitely is is part of the picture. I would just like to ask you though one more question with regard to your escape to freedom. Did did you feel that your family was endangered in any in any way from your uh, from your escape?
7: Well, before I left, I did not really think they would be in a major danger. Mm -hmm. Um, However, after I left, I know that they were interrogated. Uh, My mom even started to cry. And Mm -hmm. um, uh, my dad was forced into retirement. He was Mm -hmm. working for the Army. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom had to move away from from her job because she was also working as, um, you know, for the, mili- uh, for the military. Mm-hmm. My sister had difficulty in college, so they did have some, you know, uh, some some problems after I left. And I really did not know uh, prior to my move.
3: Sure, uh, there would be no way of knowing that, but you can see that they used economic. Um well, economic uh, repercussions to try to, uh, to send a message, no doubt, to others who might, who might have the same idea. Well, Jeff, um, you, you heard what Carmen had to say. Um, what, what are your thoughts?
8: Well, you know, I just noted that immediately when she started talking about her situation, that the word control came up a couple of times. And then, you know, right after that, it was followed by the phrase, you know, lack of freedoms. Mm-hmm. and to me you know what's currently taking place in the West now is that we have our governments looking at you know what took place in, in the Eastern Bloc and, and other totalitarian regimes and asking themselves how can they produce the same levels of control and the same restrictions on freedom but manage to conceal that from the population so that they don't realize that they're under this level of control
3: hmm well it certainly don't seem that, uh, that most Americans make the connection between the bailouts uh, and economic well-being and and gifts from the government so supposedly although where do people think the gifts come from they don't government doesn't create any wealth they don't create any gifts they're basically taking from one group of people and giving to the others in one way or another so I think your point is well taken and we had um, a Russian uh, guest on this show Dmitry Orlov who grew up under in the Soviet Union his parents brought him to the United States uh, and then as a young engineer, he had reason to go back to Russia during the days of Perestroika. And his view was that the American propaganda machine was far superior to anything he had ever seen in the Soviet Union. His, uh, his thought was, you know, if you saw the hammer and sickle on the wall, you saw the advertisements from the Russian government uh, from the USSR, you, you knew these guys were thugs. You knew that they beat the hell out of people to, to put them in place. In the United States, he says, what we have here, the propaganda machine we have here, are well-dressed people from MIT and Harvard and Princeton and Yale with PhDs behind their name who work for the corporate state, who work for large corporations, who go on CNBC and talk about, uh, you know, and, and give all these fancy reasons why the government needs to intervene in our economy, why they need to take our personal freedom from us for our own good, of course. And it is, a very, uh, it, it is very difficult uh, for most people who don't see the bigger picture to, uh, to try to make sense of it. Um, so uh, you've re- recently written on your blog, Jeff, um, a four-part series titled The Economic Rape of Europe Nearly Complete. And I might just remind our listeners that um, not only remind them but encourage them to listen or to go and read what you wrote there at Bullion Bulls Canada. Um, But as you just heard, Carmen left Europe a number of years ago to escape from tyranny and personal freedom. Um, She left a country aligned with the USSR, which was supposedly defeated during the Cold War when it ended. At this point, we see growing hostilities between Russia and the West, um, I would say, in general. He had... uh, Putin had threatened the supplies of gas, natural gas, to Europe. Uh, and he recently was uh, was talking about how the United States is a parasite against the world's savings. Uh, but let me ask you, do you see a new Cold War emerging potentially uh, for the heart, soul, and resources of Europe?
8: You know, it uh, seems to depend largely on whether or not these oligarchs can get along with each other. Yeah. So I think the original intention was, you know, for You know, Russia to sort of kiss and make up with the West and to be sort of part of the same, you know, broad master strategy. But then they simply weren't able to, uh, you know, put aside their old hostilities enough for this to take place. And so Mm -hmm. as a result, you know, we see these old tensions resurfacing.
3: Mm -hmm. So they couldn't really get along and uh, share the power, I guess. It, It comes down to that, probably share the power and the wealth. Well, you know, from my perspective,
8: I just don't see any huge differences in philosophy. You know, mm-hmm. they, they seem to be, you know, pretty much uh, interested in accomplishing the same goals, but right. not able to do it uh, working together.
3: Right. Well, absolutely uh, certainly believe that that's the case. And we had um, Ed Griffin on this show, our very first show, back in March of 2009. He's been with us a couple of times since, and he wrote the book Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and he talked about how the Fabian Socialists in, in, uh, in England... Had no differences at all with the end results of the of the Bolsheviks and the Marxists. Basically, was to gain uh, world control uh, with themselves. Of course, the elitist, uh, you know, running running the world. Well, the only difference was how they got there. Whether it was through the barrel of a gun, as the Bolsheviks, and the, the Russians, the communists uh, decided to do, or was it through a long period of quote unquote education? And I think that's what we're seeing now is the educational process, but, so do you, it, it seems to me, it's troubling to me, honestly, because I, it's troubling on one hand and the other hand, on the other hand, I'm glad it's happening, uh, personally. We see this hostility, apparent hostility, and then you have the Chinese who recently decided to defy the United States, uh, its, its, um, you know, embargo or its, a uh, uh, reprimand or not allowing, uh, money to flow into the, into Iran china needs iranian oil and they said okay well if, if the international payments can't if we can't make international payments through the banking system you know because of the of, uh, requirements of the united states through the u.n through the u.n well we'll just do barter so they're bartering with iran it seems to me that's the kind of things that wars are are, are sort of um, you know sort of result from any thoughts on that
8: uh i think you're totally correct you know any anytime there's a competition for scarce resources, you know, there's the potential for, for tensions to explode. And, of course, when you have, uh, you know, two sides that aren't necessarily, you know, playing by the Marquis of Queensbury rules, you know, that mm-hmm. just increases the probability.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: you mentioned the economic rape of Europe. Who are the perpetrators of this crime?
8: Well, you know, I think that there, there's sort of the two different uh, perspectives here. There's the private perspective, which is this is simply a a wonderful opportunity for more, you know, uh, quote-unquote profit uh, making Mm -hmm. and taking, and then there's the the government side of things where this is just, you know, a part of their overall control strategy. So, you know, I think that there's somewhat different objectives, but, you know, they're able to follow the same game plan because, you know, the the overall plan gets them both to where they want to go. Mm
3: -hmm. One of the, uh, you know, one of the objections to the notion of conspiracy is that uh, it's just difficult to get people to agree. I mean, Jeff, uh, I think it was Doug Casey who is not a big proponent of a lot of these uh, theories that we've talked about on the radio. Uh, The conspiracy ideas is that, uh, you know, you can't get, if you have five people in the room, they won't agree on exactly what color the walls are. How are you going to get them to cooperate and uh, the other side of the argument is that well you know people these are just people acting in their own interest but when you when you're looking at it I mean I guess it's just power um, and and the ability to become part of the inner sanctum the inner group that has certain advantages for example if you could become a member of the Council of Foreign Relations you would be in a very enviable position never needing or wanting any doors to open for you for jobs and for uh, all kinds of privileges uh... is that the way it works you think and 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 again if you could sort of be more specific in terms of who you think these oligarchs are in terms of personnel, or in terms at least of, cor- of institutions and corporations? Sure. Well, well, first of all, in terms of the
8: various actors, I'm you know, pointing directly at Wall Street. You know, mm-hmm. the, the creation of the derivatives market you know, was, was one of the ultimate acts of, of, of evil in the world of finance, because it's simply given them all these incredibly destructive tools, which they can and they have used to disrupt markets, and now to literally destroy entire economies. And I'm sorry, what was the other other aspect of your question, I, I kind of lost well to that.
3: yeah, I mean I was just uh, wondering if um, uh, you know who who these who, well who these people are you say it's wall Street uh, you know corporate corporate interests i mean would when you say wall street are you are you talking about the federal Reserve? Uh, would you include government um, or, or sort of a, a marriage between government and and large corporations, and then of course, large corporations are headed by people. So, if, if you would have some names or some institutions that you think should be singled out? Well, uh, you
8: know, I, I'm not uh, a, a real market expert in terms of, of the uh, detailed activities of the various Wall Street banks. Mm-hmm. Um, my broad impression is that, in particular, Goldman Sachs has favored the use of credit default swaps for its own you know, operations in these markets, whereas J.P. Morgan has tended to prefer interest rate swaps. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in terms of the evolution of these uh, attacks on you know, the European debt markets, it appears that the interest rate swaps were the you know the scheme or, or, or the scam that, that matured first, and mm-hmm. then now it's being followed up with uh, the extensive use of these credit default swap attacks.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, if what I hear you saying is basically that you have JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs they they're finding ways to make to make a lot of money very rapidly they They do have some influence on government and on policies, for example, during greenspan's years, uh, there were people that thought that the derivatives should be regulated, and of course, Greenspan and the banks didn't want any any part of that. They wanted to have that to be an over the counter market that wasn't uh, that wasn't regulated uh, so if what I hear you saying it's pretty consistent with people like um Adrian Salbucci, Daniel Estulin. Uh, I think even Ed Griffin that that basically what you have are people that aren't necessarily bad people, they're just people that are looking to make money. They're looking to find ways of doing that, and without a a real honest free market monetary system, there's no uh, there's there's really it's really difficult for there to be any uh, let's say regulations that hold them back because politicians can and are being bought off and etc. Is do I am I sort of paraphrasing? your views well yes and then you know, getting back to what you were saying about you know the conspiracy
8: side of things you know i understand the general reluctance of people to embrace conspiracies especially in what are perceived to be free societies because the idea is that you don't have that sort of you know atmosphere of of darkness you know where such conspiracies can can take root and grow Mm -hmm. but that sort of uh... ignores the massive Movement toward groupthink that we've seen in our societies. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this orthodoxy throughout, you know, our political sphere, our educational spheres, you know, mm-hmm. our economic spheres, every aspect of our lives where conforming to the conventional wisdom is, is treated as the highest ideal. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a society where, you know, quote unquote, agreeing with the experts is the best way to, you know, promote your own career aspirations, then all of a sudden it becomes much easier for, for these sort of conspiracies you know quote unquote to to thrive because mm-hmm. it takes a very small number of actual conspirators with all the rest being more or less unwitting volunteers to participate in these schemes
3: mm-hmm. so you're seeing uh maybe some key words uttered by the uh, by the chairman of the federal reserve become uh what everybody says and i, I mean i've noticed this on 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 television we have um Oh, you know, different words that Greenspan would say, and they would become buzzwords. And all of a sudden, you'd hear people saying them all the time. Uh, and and so the groupthink uh, issue. Uh, Carmen, I'd like to ask you: Did you see this as part of the of, of what was taking place in Romania, where you would have, uh, you know, th- this uh, conformity, in other words, the individualism which comes with free markets. Um, you have when you have a statist government, you have, you know, the political politically correct way to think about things. Did you notice that in Romania?
7: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was all over the news. That's uh, pretty much uh, throughout the couple of channels that we had. We didn't have more than two channels. So most of the time we had uh, a news on, on television. It was all about um, how good we were doing, and um, everything was done uh, for uh, the betterment of the Romanian people um, in basically the history that we've been taught. Uh, Capitalism, free markets were really bad because it would um, discriminate. It would uh, put a big gap between two classes of people, and uh, obviously the people that were wealthy were put on on the bad side and uh, the people that were poor on the other side. So they put a lot of emphasis about egalitarianism, about equality, and how communists, socialism uh, were all the venue to to get individual um, equality
3: Mm -hmm. yeah and it's and so if you if you can get the mainstream media uh, to keep saying something often enough uh, people start to actually believe it's true uh, yeah, we're but
7: just have... to the point where, you know, to be honest, yeah, I mean, you, you believe it while you're a little kid and because it's being told, but then you have a family. Like, I mean, I had a family at home, and I, it wasn't only my family, Jay and Jeff, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, people would start seeing that whatever we were told, I mean, we had common sense. Whatever we were told on uh, in school, whatever we were told on, on TV by the news media, uh, it was not true. We, we recognized that. We understood that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we knew that everything that the news media was telling us was exactly the opposite.
3: Mhm. Mhm.
7: So we, we realized that we were to, we were being lied.
3: Okay, you realized that um, most of the people probably didn't realize it, or do you think they did? Daniel Estulin says that people understood in Russia. Yeah. Uh, you know what was really going on, and people didn't pay that much attention. And I think there may be, uh, like the opinion of either of you, that maybe in the U.S. there's more and more people that are starting to doubt because the policies are no longer working. They can't work, I think, for various reasons that we don't have time necessarily to get into today. But we're seeing uh, certainly, I think, a loss of confidence, low levels of esteem for politicians, for policymakers, for the Fed, for the Congress, for the president, our president now. And um, so it seems to me that uh, that though the majority of people still believe uh, if you had everybody as skeptical as myself and a lot of the guests on this show then you would already have a revolution in America I believe but most people don't I think most people basically still believe or try to believe what's going on would you either of you agree with that
7: yeah i i I have to agree with that now, but do remember that we have three hundred and what ten million people in mm-hmm. this country mm-hmm. uh, Romania had twenty two million people, mm-hmm. and Romanian people back in the 70s and eighties when things got really bad, they had had the gradual the experience of a gradual uh, decrease in the standard of living and uh, individual, uh, um, a loss of individual freedom. Mm-hmm. Americans don't have that yet. So, I mean, we have a huge population. We're still being told that America is the best and the toughest and nothing could happen economically in this country. While all these changes are happening gradually, I mean, they're happening be- before our eyes, but we still have not gone to the point where i mean, i don't even believe 20% of the population is skeptical about what the news media or the government is telling them that's just my personal opinion
3: yeah and uh, jeff well you know as a canadian as a canadian um, how do you view it how do you view this situation
8: well, first of all, I see what's happening in Canada to be very similar as what's happening to the U.S. in so many respects. Mm-hmm. But perhaps we're just a little bit behind the progression. Mm-hmm. But you know, to sort of uh, follow both what you and Carmen were saying, um, on the one hand, you know, there is this, this idea of you know, people finally becoming aware as you know, the level of suffering increases and, and that hardship sort of snaps them out of their, their stupor. But you know, on the other hand, I think a tremendous effort has been made to dumb down our populations, right. with the specific goal of being you know it'd be that much easier to, to lead them along, and it would be that much slower to reach this realization that things aren't what what they appear to be.
3: Right, and certainly some of the dumbing down is, in my view, uh, is blaming the Tea Party for the problems uh, in the markets, uh, rather than blaming the the Keynesians, uh, the socialists that have indebted the country to the point where we're, we're ready to go broke well uh, we're going to have to take a commercial break now and when we come back uh, Jeff I want to get into sort of the mechanics of how Europe has been uh, quote-unquote raped uh, economic rape that has uh, taken place we're certainly seeing uh, we're certainly seeing Europe uh, the European financial situ- uh, situation deteriorate I mean it's, uh, it's it's not just one country or two now but they're talking about even countries as large as Spain and uh, and in uh, Italy and now and then we hear even France being mentioned the whole thing uh, seems to be falling apart so as soon as we come back from the commercial break I want to talk about your, uh, your thesis and the paper that you wrote recently that people can again uh, can again read and I would encourage them to do it Bullion Bulls Canada so, so don't go away we'll be right back with Carmen and Jeff uh, after the break don't go away